How are you guys feeling today? You guys all right? Glad you guys are here. Uh, everyone that's watching online, we're glad you guys are here. We are super excited for Virtue Reality Week 4. This is the final week. This series could go on and on and on and on and on. There's so much more, and uh, we have so much more to get to. Uh, but if you did not hear or see the first three weeks of Virtue Reality, I just want to challenge you to go watch it. Um, I try to write every message so that it can be something con that's consumable in one one time here, and, and, and it kind of can live on its own, but also it, there is a cohesive nature to all four of them fitting together, and so some of what I will talk about, you, you, there'll be a little bit less than you need to fully comprehend where I'm going, and so we, we write these series that way, and so you got to catch up on it. We, we usually have everything on our app and online and a podcast and all that other stuff, so go and catch up on this stuff, because where I'm going to take this today is just that one more step fuller for what it looks like to have virtue be our reality, and with that, I want to invite everyone to stand, and we are going to read uh, a passage of Scripture. This is in 1 Corinthians 13, and you may have read this before. Uh, if you didn't ever, if this is your first day at church, or if you don't come to church that much, or you don't know much about the Bible, you have definitely like read this, or at least heard this, read uh, at, a, at a wedding. This is a passage of Scripture that uh, is kind of, uh, if anything, it might be the crown jewel in terms of love as it's defined in the scriptures in the New Testament of all the 27 books there. And so this is the one in 1 Corinthians where Paul is describing to a church there that's struggling to understand how their faith plays out, what love really is. So I'm going to read through this, pray, and then we're going to dive into week four, virtue reality. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall fully know, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, 
hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the scriptures. How throughout time you orchestrated many, many people throughout thousands of years to write letters, to write histories of what you were doing and why you were doing it and the people that were around you and how we get to read about that and learn about you and understand more about what it looks like to follow you. Thank you for bringing your son, Jesus Christ, who showed up in the fullness of time so that we could have empirical, historical, something beautiful that we can know happened and understand the implications of that truth. I pray, God, that as we listen and learn about 1 Corinthians 13, that we would all experience something new today, that something different, if we've heard it at a wedding, that this would transform into something new. If, if, if something we thought about love, that this would, would uh, graduate into a new idea for us. Or if, we've, if we're here for the first time, God, that we would just experience you in a very fresh and very delightful way. We love you and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Guys, I'm really glad that you're here. And as I do these messages and I alluded to already, you know, I go through so much time and I'm not... I'm not, I'm not having a pity party. I mean, blow the candles out on my pity party. No pity party. I spend a lot of time joyfully getting ready for these series and, you know, reading books upon books and, and having conversations. And, I mean, my notes, if I showed you my notes on my phone, it's a myriad of just a mess that has no necessarily sentence fragments and thought fragments and as I'm kind of working all this together and I have meetings with larger groups of people and smaller groups of people and it all comes together and then I put this thing out there and I, and, and, and I, I hardly ever get to say all that I want to say. And so I'm trying to work through some ways that I can share some more stuff with you guys. I'm actually working on a podcast that I want to do um, called The Rest. Tell me that you want me to do that and I'll work at it faster but I'm really getting close to do this thing where I just kind of talk about the rest of the church and the rest of the people and the rest of the stuff and something you can listen to as a kind of a, a, an amendment or an additional piece to what we're doing on Sundays because there's so much more, there's the rest. And, but last week as I talked about this fruit of the Spirit, and again, this is why I encourage you to go watch because what I talked about is how the, the Scriptures probably are leading us down this road of saying that virtue in terms of it being God's vision for our life that it's a more dynamic experience, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, he tells us what we're supposed to do. He says you need to be patient. But then that we're supposed to take up our work in terms of self-control and maybe not just view self-control as this thing of, you know, moderating or working through temptation, but actually playing a role to control patience, control kindness, that we're supposed to play a role in, in, in all of the things that... It, virtue applies to or has to do with. And so when I did that, you know, I, I, I shared how, you know, we kind of work really hard. Like we, we, you know, the Holy Spirit's there to help us, but we're supposed to do the heavy lifting. Like a coach that's like, okay, now you need to do this and now you need to do that, but we're not going to get in shape unless we do it. Or if we invite someone over to help move furniture, like we're not going to make them do all the heavy lifting. We're going to take the down, down the stairs and do the heavy lifting and they're the helper. The Holy Spirit is the helper not the one that does all the hard work. You know, so becoming like Christ is something that is rigorous. 
And it's not something that, you know, you do to earn his love. It's something you do as a response to his love, as a transformation takes place in your life, in your mind. So it's this beautiful thing that we get to be like Jesus and we want to. And it's awesome. It's not this, you know, a bunch of, 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 uh, it's not like a gauntlet that we have to run. But it does take a lot of work. And so... Um, one of the things that, that occurred to me this week uh, that I wish I could have brought to you last week, I'll just say before I even start on the First Corinthians passage, is oftentimes bad things will happen to, to people who are Christ followers, and you know someone like this, you see someone like this, they know Jesus and they get hit with whatever it is, whatever tsunami of circumstances comes their way. You see them go through that, and for some reason they have a stability, a calm, a, an understanding, even a joy in the midst of their circumstances that to the outside world is somewhat unexplainable because so much of us are walking the tightrope and with something were to hit us, you know, we don't know how we would respond. You know, health or circumstances or job, whatever, just things that can happen where life kind of just falls apart. But you see Christians who understand this idea of working towards virtue, who understand this idea of your role in becoming like Jesus, when we have in our lives things that were unexpected or unplanned, the people who believe that we're supposed to work to become like Jesus see those things as just an opportunity to grow. You see, so if you're going to become kind, like I said, be kind, you have to go and work at kindness. So if you took a week and you said, today I'm going to be kind, it's not just an idea, it's not just a fleeting thought, it's an actual plan on the calendar. I told you guys I was going to do something kind for Fox in the Snow. I sent them all fruit. I sent them a giant fruit basket and said thank you. And I, I, went to, I spent time on it. It took me like two hours to figure it out. I worked at it. I did it. I spent money on it because I want them to know that I'm thinking of them and I'm memorizing their names. And that's, that's, what, that's what becoming Jesus looks like. It's real. It's work. It's effort. It's, it's kindness. It's, it's, it's real human interaction. And so when you become that, you work really hard at it. But sometimes things come that we didn't plan and they challenge areas of virtue like Patience. Like if you ever had to have your mother-in-law move in the house. Patience. You're learning patience. Christians look at that and go, well, you know, I could have just set out a workout program for patience, or I can look at these circumstances and I can go, God is working something through these circumstances that I wouldn't have planned this way, but I guess I'll take it and learn from it. This is why Paul, in the New Testament, when he's sharing the kingdom message of Jesus, which is why he gets you know, thrown into to prison and he gets beat by Jews because of blasphemy. But when he talks about a kingdom, he's kind of bringing people away from Rome. So eventually he, he causes this stir and he gets thrown into prison. And when he says in prison, in Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. That's because he has this ability that is very difficult to come by where you take circumstances and go, I'm turning into something different. And so in the spirit of, you know, of Groundhog Day and Punxsutawney Phil, and has anyone ever seen that movie, Groundhog Day? It's a great movie. You see, what Christians do is they take opportunities and they become champions. I mean, it's actually a funny movie. I was falling asleep last night, and it was on, and... And it just hit me, right? You know, and this is something preachers do. We make everything connect to the message, okay? Just, just, just go with it, all right? Like, so we, this movie, this guy gets stuck in a day, and every single day, right, he, he works on something. 
right? So he becomes really good at a, being a piano player, and he becomes an ice sculptor, and he learns French and, like, all this stuff. And one day after the whole series of events takes place, a day after day after day, the same day over and over, he wakes up and he's a different person. You see, this is what it means to become a follower of Jesus, is you go, okay, you know, I got my life, and this is my day, and I'm going to get good at kindness or piano. I'm going to get good at French. I'm going to get good at this, and then one day I'll wake up, and I will be a different person. See, the Groundhog story with Bill Murray is a story of radical Christian transformation. See, you didn't know that, did you? You're welcome. Now, this is, again, this is what we do every, actually, it's true, all great stories are the same story told over and over again. All right, the un, the, this people that you would never expect to do great, they do great things. You go, wow, that's amazing, kind of heroism. It's all the same stuff over and over again if it has a good story. Here's a story of a man, Groundhog Day, he becomes a different person. Why? Because he works at it. Every single day he has the opportunity. You want to become kind? Work at it. You want to become patient? Allow the circumstances that come into your life, use them, parlay them, move them into becoming a champion. It can, it, it, it's just a different way. Now, I know that that's not going to work for everybody, and that's not emotionally satisfying when something hits you and you don't want it to happen. I get all that. But this idea, this view of what it means to become the vision of virtue that God has for you, to attain into, to move into, to start to progress into the glory of God, your original design, this is a process that you welcome into your life. You do it on purpose and nobody has a problem if they show up and, and the instructor says, hey, we're going to do 2,000-meter row and we're going to do a bunch of burpees and a bunch of handstands and all this stuff. You kind of go, yeah, I'll get, I'm going to do this. For some reason, because we worship ourselves, I know that's a lot to say, but it's true, we don't want someone else to make us grow. We want to make ourselves grow. But if you have this idea that you're supposed to grow, you'll take what you can get. Okay, that was just a sideline. <sighs> now, one of my favorite movies... Before I dive into this, is Dumb and Dumber. Can I get a little amen? Dumb and Dumber. I mean, it's just so good, right? And there's that scene, right, where, where you know, Lloyd, Harry, you know, he's, he talks about Mary, you know, and, and, and he says, oh, yeah, she, she actually talked to me, man. Sparks flew, emotions ran high. And he's like, get, get, get out of here. He's like, oh, yeah, she talked to me. And he gets the briefcase. And the whole thing is, like, he feels this, this, this moment where, like, this romance birth, but she doesn't at all. And then later she says, you know, what are the chances? One in a million. And he's like, oh, I read you. I read you. And he's like, what was all that one in a million talk? Anyway, my kids love Ace Ventura Pet Detective, like when nature calls. This is one of the few movies that my kids like from my generation because of Jim Carrey's brilliant physical comedy. It's amazing. They just think he's so funny. I mean, yesterday Jet just like bent over and said, hey, daddy, why I got to go get something to eat? Like he just starts talking out of his butt. Like, just, I mean, they love this physical comedy stuff. So it's like, it's like, fine. And you want to watch movies from when I was a kid? Fine. And if you guys don't think Jim Carrey's great, you're missing one of the greatest artists of all time. He should win every Academy Award. He's the greatest, okay? Go watch Dumb and Dumber. Go watch Ace Ventura, Pet Detective 1 and 2, all right? For, just do it. You want, to, you want to grow as a Christian? Watch Ace Ventura, all right? Here's the deal. So we all have this idea, and we know that, like, that, that romance and that sparks and all the stuff that can happen in a relationship that like it can become this kind of oh this emotional experience and then like we kind of learn in the church uh, and and if we go to a wedding or whatever that love is beyond it's beyond a, a wedding 
it's beyond a wedding, and that it actually is about a lifestyle of working really, really hard to turn into someone who loves someone. Right, so, so we know love is not just this feeling, it's not just sparks, we know it's an action, right? And so DC Talk put out the song, What You Say, What You Heard, Love is a Verb, right? It's this idea that like, you know, if you love someone, you serve them, you sacrifice for them, you give to them. And so when we see the First Corinthians passage, we often think this is a passage about love and love in action. And then it goes a little bit further because it's used at every wedding and we think this is the way marriage is supposed to look like, but actually the passage has nothing specifically to do with marriage. It's just about the way people should interact. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is like what it means to become like Jesus. And so it gets taken further into friendship and relationships. And if you take the stuff we just read in 1 Corinthians 15, patience, you know, all the different stuff, not, not keeping a record of wrong, not boasting, being, being uh, you know, patient with one, all the different stuff that it kind of unpacks, you know that if you take those things and you apply them to a marriage, that your relationship is gonna, it's gonna dramatically improve. If you, if you take those things and you apply those things, actually, you actually do them. Keep no record of wrongs? Like, are you serious? Like, that is almost impossible, but like, that's what he's saying, like, this is what love is. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I mean, like, I have areas in my life I just can't, I, I have a record. I just have a record. So in order for me to get rid of the record of wrong, I literally have to have a plan. I have to flex the muscles of becoming virtuous in the area of the record of wrongs and go, I'm not going to keep a record of wrongs. I'm actually going to push through and treat right. I'm not going to allow the record of wrongs to affect me. I'm going to pray that my mind isn't captivated by that wrong. I mean, bitterness, get rid of it. You have to go through a process of getting rid of that. And so love becomes so much bigger than a verb it, it, or just in a marriage, it becomes this thing that happens when we become full Christians. And ultimately what can happen is the idea of 1 Corinthians 13 is something that we move into our lives and we go, that's the way we're supposed to behave. That's what love looks like. And so we think it's a part of a marriage, we think it's part of friendship, but it's actually even bigger than that. This passage is one of the most, I would say, taken out of context passages or misunderstood or foggy passages in all of the Bible because what we do with this passage and what you'll see is that it's really about a marriage, but it's not about marriage between people. This passage is actually about the marriage between heaven and earth and what's going to ultimately happen in the future. See, the great divorce is that God put heaven and earth together and humans were in there and then sin came in and heaven and earth got split and Jesus brought heaven back to earth and now it's growing and eventually it will all be one again, heaven and earth together, new heaven, new earth. And the marriage of heaven and earth will come back together, the picture of the way things were originally supposed to be. And so this passage is about how we interact with each other as humans, but ultimately it does something if you notice there was a part where a lot of you probably, if you didn't grow up in the church, you didn't grow up reading the Bible, where I started reading and you went, I don't know what that's talking about. I don't know what that's talking about. Now I look through a mirror as in a reflection. I see through a glass dimly. Uh, I was a child. I grow up. Okay, that means I have to start loving more. I don't see him. I see face to face. Okay, that I will be known as I am fully known. You see, what Paul is doing in this passage is he's saying there are things that the church is. And if it doesn't have love, it doesn't matter. Here's what love is. You need to start doing these things. Patience, all the different stuff he outlines. Then he 
brings it back up and he says, right now, we see only as a reflection in a mirror, but one day we will see face to face. What does Paul do there? He turns the whole thing about love into a conversation about eternity. He literally takes what you and I say is the recipe for a good relationship and says this is actually more than just the recipe for a good relationship. This is eternal. He goes into this thing, he says, when I was a kid, I acted like a kid. I didn't behave the way I was supposed to. As I grew up and matured, or in other passages, became perfect or complete, or met the goal of the glory of God, then I started to act like a man. Now we're in the process of becoming like that, but he literally says, but one day, I will see God fully and he will see me. Right now, it's kind of foggy. In another translation I loved growing up, reading, it says, I see through a glass dimly, like the bottle of a Coke, old Coke bottle. It's like if you walked around like that, you don't see it clearly. The idea is, I don't see eternity clearly. I don't see the way this is all supposed to go clearly now, but one day I will see it all clearly, and ultimately what I'm supposed to become is everything that Paul just outlined. That when you grow up fully, you will fully become love. Look what he says. He says, and so until then, these remain. He goes back and forth, right? Now I this, then I will that. Now I this, then. What's he talking about? Now on earth, and then one day in eternity. Now on earth, and then one day in eternity. And then he goes, and so we have faith, hope, and love. And what? The greatest of these is love. As if to say, in the process of the human experience, we have the church. If you don't have love and you don't work towards love, you are not becoming as a man who you are ultimately supposed to become, which is in its fullness, when we see God face to face, the way you're supposed to live your life, who you're going to be. And so we often think about love, don't we, as this, this rigorous thing. Oh, and it is. It's hard to do. It's, it's, it's a job. It takes time. But it's so much more than just a job. It's so much more than just discipline. Love is not something that we say, okay, I'm going to be loving now, and then when I get home from work, I'll stop being loving. It's like, oh, I'm going to wear my loving suit, and then I'm going to, take, I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk loving for a while. Love is a transcendent, transformative principle, and it is actually your total trajectory as a human. Love. Paul is saying in this passage, when you are fully known, when you fully become who God designed you to become from the beginning, you will be a walking, breathing picture and flower of love. It's your destiny. Love is not just your discipline. Love is your destiny. It's who you will be. Now, sometimes you might hear that and go, I don't know, why does that motivate me to love? Someone this week said, I don't know why that motivates me to love. I don't know about you, that motivates me to practice what I'm ultimately going to be. If someone came along and said to me, Joel, you're going to cure cancer, I would go, well, really? You, you're going to cry. I mean, if like Marty McFly came back and said, you're going to, you know, whatever, you're going to cure cancer, or God showed up, I would go start studying biology. If someone came to me and said, you're going to win the Super Bowl six times, like Tom Brady is tonight, then I would probably start throwing the football more. Because ultimately, that's, my, that's where I'm headed. 
When we know where we're going to go, it shows us how we're supposed to behave now. You see, the picture of love in 1 Corinthians is a picture of your destiny. When you become fully like Jesus, and the picture of Jesus is a picture of love. Look how he lived. Look how he walked. Look what he did. Look what he did for us sacrificially. When Jesus died on the cross, in the, the John narrative in the New Testament, the whole thing starts, the sequence, the way the writer writes it, with Jesus in John 13 washing his disciples' feet. As if to say this, hey, right now I'm going to give you a symbol. I'm going to give you a symbol of something that I'm actually going to do tomorrow. I'm going to give you a symbol right now of something I'm going to do tomorrow. Ultimately, I'm going to practice what I'm going to become. I'm going to become the servant for you and wash your feet because ultimately tomorrow when I'm hanging on a cross, I will be the epitome of a servant. Jesus' whole mindset for all of us is that we would, in knowing the trajectory, start to live it out now. That's why virtue is God's vision for you. Isn't that such a fun thought? To think that your, your destiny as a human is to be full of love. I mean, what in the world? I mean, every artist across time has taken this idea and turned it into platinum selling records. I mean, the Beatles and every, you can name it. It's all about love. It's all about love. You, my friend, are supposed to become an agent of love. If the world we're living in right now doesn't need love, I don't know what it needs. A full respect of all humans, an understanding of evil versus good. Feeding people, loving people, embracing people. Erasing racial lines, erasing, erasing bigotry, erasing it. Love, man. God says, that's what I have for you. One day we will all be one, we'll be this nation, we'll be these people, we'll be these people of God that constantly live a life of love. What a beautiful picture. And I don't know about you, but knowing that that's my trajectory makes me want to spend my time now. When we think about love, we have to kind of zoom in on it. Now, when you guys see this up here, what does it make you think? That's right. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Now, see, this is what you guys don't know. I, I hold way back in here. I hold way back. Like, I'm, you know, I got all these other ideas, and I just, I, sometimes I'm scared, and I don't want to freak everybody out. But when I put this slide up here, my, my idea was that we would all have a dance party to that song for 10 minutes. What is love? It's your destiny. Like, just rewrite the words and, like, have a dance party. And, and like, you know, honestly, when we get into our new building, we're going to do that. Okay? We're going to do that. So one day, it'll be dance party day, and if you don't want to dance, don't come to church. And listen, you do not have to know how to dance. All you have to do is do this. If you do that, you can dance. Okay, so one day we will have that. But when we start to think about love, we have to get a better idea for what it is. And, and this is something that just continues to shape. Oftentimes when we think of love, we think of rules, following rules. 
right? If we're becoming like Jesus, if we're becoming virtuous, we have to follow the rules. So you can look at 1 Corinthians 13 and you can go, well, I guess I have to do that. I have to do that. I have to keep no record of wrongs. And here's the problem with that. Like, it's good to know you have to do something. And in the church, there's this really weird, murky confusion around rules because of Old Testament law. The greatest law in the Old Testament was love the Lord your God and love others. It's the greatest law. The Levitical laws had to do with the process of God communicating truth to the nation of Israel. And there was great purpose for the Levitical laws. But the law of God has to do with loving God and loving others, i.e. the virtue that is found in 1 Corinthians 13. That's where love gets stretched out, gets blown out so that we can see what it looks like to become like Jesus. Every person who's in any type of relationship worth its salt knows that if you love because of rules, it doesn't get you very far. Here's a tip. Guys, for Valentine's Day, do not give your significant other a box of chocolates or flowers and say, I did that because I have to. Didn't want to, but I had to because I love you. Rules are not good enough. Rules are like the rumble strip on a freeway. They keep you on the path, but nobody wants to go across the country or live a life on the rumble strip, do they? See, that's what can happen when we get mixed up in thinking that this Christian life is all about rules. It's just, I have to do everything turbulent, turbulent, turbulent. I better not mess up. If I mess up, I'll go off the side of the road. The rumble strip is there to show you this is the path you're supposed to be on. Don't go over that. But man, if you think driving down the road is simply about just not going off the road, why are you on the road? You see, it's so much more than that. It's about something different. And oftentimes, we take love and we say you need to follow the rules. I mean, you've grown up in the church. You need to do what God says. Just do what he says, and that's what it means. Even Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. But he's not saying if you just do all the things and have no heart in it and have nothing bigger in it, then that means you're fine. He is saying, when you love me, you become love. You become this. You turn into something else. The other side of the equation for love that we often get misunderstood, and this is for a lot of students because it happens when we're young, is this idea that love is all about following your heart, that it's romantic, that the sparks are going to lead the way. And so if you're driving down the road of life and you got the rules as the rumble strip, then what can happen is the sparks can just be that initial motivation to go on a journey. Oh, I want to go. Ooh, I want to do it. The, the sparks are kind of like the spinning wheel on GPS. It's exciting. Here we go. And there they are. And now I'm motivated. And I'm going to go down the road. But if you allow love or virtue to be driven by the sparks or the romantic follow-your-heart idea, the problem with that is then the spark becomes the, the direction. And you are wired to have sparks for the rest of your life. You will have more sparks. You will have sparks for other people when you're married. You will have sparks for the wrong thing when you are married. You will have sparks for the right thing. You will have sparks. You cannot allow the spark to be the guiding light. Ultimately, love says the rules of the rumble strip, the spark will get you on this direction. I love God, I know God, or, or in any practical application, I'm going down this road, but 
I am not on this road just to obey the rules. And I am not on this road just to experience the spark. I am on this road because of my destiny, where I'm headed. I am headed somewhere. I'm going towards becoming love. The rules don't make me love. The spark doesn't keep me in love. The destiny keeps me focused on the goal. And so I turn into someone who becomes love. So love is virtue. Virtue reality. What does it look like? When we put on these glasses and we go, we don't, need, we don't know what love looks like, we can put them on and what we will see is 1 Corinthians 13. We will start to see that virtue looks a lot like love and love looks a lot like virtue. Now when we defined virtue at the very beginning of the series, this is what we said. Virtue is what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, which doesn't come naturally. And then on the thousandth and first time when it really matters, they find they do what is required automatically. You see, our trajectory is to automatically be loved. And this entire series is about your commitment to that goal and the effort that we put in to become what we will ultimately be for eternity. You see, John, who was with Jesus, he outlined this. He even says, this is how we know what love is. So if you want to know what love is, the rumble strip, the spark, the road, what is love? What is it all about? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it take? What is love? He says, this is how we know what love is. The author of love Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. There it is. Now, when we hear that, we go, oh, that's just, you know, that's just, that's hyperbolic language. I mean, that's just idiomatic. That's a cliche. Lay down your life. This is in any area of your life where you have to work to become love. You lay down your life. You see, Jesus laid down his life because it was what was required of him to bring the best he could to the people whom he wanted to bring it to. So for us, our job is to lay down our lives, to look at every situation that we're in and go, what do I need to do? What do I need to become in order to elevate, to bring life, to bring goodness to the people in my world? He gets real practical. That's, he doesn't let you stay on this kind of esoteric, oh, just lay down your life. This doesn't mean pray. This doesn't mean bother. This doesn't mean tell. This means live, show it. Give yourself up. Lay your life down. It's not natural. And in order to become this, every single day you have to say, okay, this week I'm going to work on kindness. This week I'm going to work on patience. This week I'm going to work on gentleness. This week I'm going to be keep no record of wrongs. And I'm going to gain muscularity in all the areas that God says I will look like when I fully become like Christ. Virtue reality. You become love. We're all supposed to be coming love. Now, one of the things to kind of cap this off with, which, which is, is so special and so real, is how when the scriptures 2,000 years ago were put together and written and, and, and brought, there was a passage and, and a whole book called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which is oftentimes understood as this apocalyptic end-time literature, the book of The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, just the backdrop to this text this is a man named John who spent time with Jesus. He was the youngest, so in about 90 A.D., 60 years after the life of Christ, 
he had a vision when he was in captivity on an island. He had a vision. And in that vision, we get to see what he is trying to tell us he saw in his vision. And what he's doing in that text is he's using language and words that the people who would be reading it would understand to tell something that he can barely comprehend. I've talked about this before. He uses this thing called intertextualizing, which is what we all do, which is if I had a dream and I said I, was, I, was, I had a dream and I was looking at my dog and then my dog turned into a raccoon and then my dog, then the raccoon turned into a frog and then the raccoon and frog turned into a, a Bigfoot, you know, monster truck. You'd be like, huh? I'd be like, yeah, you know, kind of like a transformer. And then you would kind of understand what I was saying, but that's not what it looked like to me. I'm just using that to try to express to you that something happened and I don't know, have the words for it. So what John is doing in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ is he is using language from Babylonian myth that his readers would understand to try to show them something that is very hard to comprehend. All that being said, the text often gets used and viewed as this is what's going to happen when it's all over. When in fact, the language and the voice of the text is not just saying what's going to happen when it's over. It's actually saying what's happening in a spiritual realm now. There are certain things happening now. This is happening now. And so what happens is John gets taken on a journey and he gets shown things. And at the end of this telling, he gets shown something about what is happening with Jesus now and ultimately what will happen with all of us when we become fully like Christ, when we become a part of of his healing process to the world. So it's, it, it, it's very amazing. This is very real and heavy and difficult to wrap your brain around, but what it does is it gives us a picture of what you and I will become, what Paul is referencing in 1 Corinthians 13, is eternity. So he says this. He says, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, this is a reference back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, bearing 12 crops of fruit, the tree of life, growing fruit, yielding its fruit every single month. It's a reference to all the different nations and the tribes of Israel and all the different things coming together. And the leaves of the tree are for what? The healing of the nations. The healing of the nations. Ultimately, God has decided that what he is going to be is a marvelous agent of healing love. That's who he is. That's his nature. And he's decided that we're going to be like him. And he made us to be healing agents. He made us to be agents of love. And so when this whole thing went off track when humans decided to turn against God, what God did is he said, I am going to start a process of redemption, of bringing all of my people that are created in my image back to a place of becoming the way that I designed them to be originally. And so when we see the picture of Jesus, what we're seeing is a picture of a part of your role in the future, that you, when you become fully like Christ, that you'll be a healing agent. You'll become love. 
you will walk around and make a difference in every single thing you can. And yes, in the future, somehow, some way, there is always going to be a need for us to be agents of goodness in the world that exists. Because that is what it means to be like God. God is love. We will become that. And we will be part of healing for the rest of our lives. And so we have this beautiful picture. Love is not a discipline. Don't look at the way you treat your spouse, your kids, your best friends, your job. Don't look at it anymore like, I got to do this because this is what's best. That's, that's a low grade. The, the higher view of this is this is who I am becoming. I am becoming an agent of love. I want to heal. I want to give. I want to be generous. I want to practice self-giving, humble love because that is my goal, to be like my creator, God. It's a much more beautiful, I believe, compelling approach to our faith. I have never been the type that operates really well from someone coming along and saying, you have to do this. God only, you have to. This is, this is who you are. Whether you know it or not, this is who you are. And this is who you should work on becoming now. So with that idea, I'm going to change some language for our church today. This is exciting to me because we work really, really hard. But I also love the idea of, of organizational and institutional changes being made because we're learning, because I'm learning. I think it sends the right signal. You know, we're not going to plant our feet in the sand and say we're never going to change. We're going to constantly ask, how can we get better? How can we do this job that we've been commissioned to do to reach people better? And for the longest time, and with great pride, we have had this idea that our pathway for anyone coming to the church, staying at the church, and being a part of the church has been belong, believe, behave. And that is a great notion. It's not a bad idea, but I'm going to change it because one of the words I think puts the, an improper emphasis on what we really want to say. And belong, we're never going to change that. We believe everyone belongs. We want every human to know that they're loved, and how are they going to know who Jesus is if they're not proximate to people who sh treat them with love? We are supposed to become love. We are supposed to be identified by our deeds, not what we say is true. You, you know that. As Christians, we are not supposed to be identified by just what we say is true or how we vote. We are supposed to be identified by how we treat humans. Humans who love other humans well are the ones that make God look good. It's true. And so we are supposed to embrace all, wide open, doors. Come in no matter where you come from, no matter what your behavior is, no matter what your beliefs are, you belong because God made you in his image. You are his child, and we are going to get you to know him because you're walking in darkness. That is the truth. So everyone belongs. And when they come around, and this is what happens when you have an open heart, warmth, not just to transform people, but just to show people love, just to be proximate to all humans. That's the heart of this church. We love you. I get so excited when I sit with someone who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't respect Jesus, doesn't, I just want them to know, I, I, I enjoy it. This is what I'm here for, man, to, to, to help be part of someone's journey, half a step for someone. That's what we're supposed to be. So when someone gets proximate to people who show they love people, then what happens is the source of that, Jesus, our Savior, our 
the lover of our souls. It starts to come out and become, it's real, it's authentic, it's a part of who we are. So people transform and they place their faith in Jesus specifically. And what, it, what we've set up to then is that then they will start to behave. They'll start to act like, like the way they're supposed to act. But we're going to change that today to this word, to become. And from now on, we're going to say belong, believe, become. Because what we believe is that when someone embraces the person of Jesus Christ, that just like I've taught in this series, they've been lifted by the grace of God across that river in that abyss of life and death, of no work of themselves. But then they are untied, unshackled, and they are told, now go. Go and grow. Go and become. Build, produce, bring life, be me, work hard, transform this place, transform yourself into who I originally designed you to be. That is my vision for you. And so it's a process of becoming like Christ. All of our seasons are, are just a tool for us to become like Christ, for us to learn, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to serve, to serve the way that Jesus served, to be in community, to have connection with God and connection with others, and then invitation at the very end to, to actually ask people and invite people into a relationship with God and watch that happen. And so we believe that all of that is part of what it means to become, and so this is new language for us, and we have titled our membership class, Joining Our Family Become, uh, and, and so it just, it's apropos to actually say that this is now part of our language all the way through and through. We want you to become a member, part of the family of 514 Church, and we haven't done this in a while, and so we hope to get you know, all of you who have never sat through and learned some of the guts and the DNA and who have officially become a member of the 514 Church family, you need to attend February 24th. You need to attend it. You need to, it's, it's in the afternoon. You need to be there. You need to be a part of that. We're going to celebrate you. We're going we're gonna to share with you. We're going to have one day. We're going to make it a little bit more robust. And we are going to get more people engaged in this church and what we're doing. So please, if you're interested in being an actual part of the 514 Church family, and some of you are operating that way, but if you've never gone through this, we want to know that you call this place your home so that we can lead you better and honestly communicate with you better because sometimes you're just kind of floating around out there and you've never actually said, I'm in. And so we need you to do that. So that's happening on February 24th. You can go online and sign up for that. And uh, guys, after, I'm going to say a prayer, we can all be done, but after this, we have meet at 514 Church. This is just an opportunity, if you're new here, back in the back, there at the curtain, if you're new, go meet staff members, hang out, get to know somebody, use this place as a lobby. It's a time to enjoy one another and, uh, and maybe make some new friends or connect with old friends. If you're new, that back there, that's for you. You'll turn around when I say amen and head back there. Let me pray for us for a second. God, thank you so much that we get the opportunity to become like you, that we get the opportunity to, to gain this virtue, that we get the opportunity that you've given us life and you've given us strength and you've given, given us will. I pray that we would leverage all of it for you. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would protect us from the evil one, that you would protect us from the lies, that you would protect us, our minds and our hearts, from the things that lead us astray and help us to stay on path with you. Help us to move towards you and follow you. And be like you. And God, give us the grace every time we fall down to stand back up and to keep fighting the good fight and to work for you and towards you. We love you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you guys next week for questions, week one.